Laura, I paraphrased last week's scripture, not at this service, but Laura told me I couldn't paraphrase scripture anymore, that I have to read it straight from the Bible. Uh, so, so uh, I'm going to read it straight from the Bible today. John 20. John 20, starting with verse uh, 19, which is about Jesus appearing to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And we'll go to verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's join in these words on screen. Lord, make your word our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. For the sake of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes, last week you all did miss out if you weren't at the 1030 service. Um, There we got not the KJV version of the Bible, but the JKV, the Jeremy Kyle Vincent version. (laughs) And it was was entertaining. But um, the last six weeks, we have been walking through our mission statement together, our, our vision, really, our vision, which is the preferred picture of what is not yet, but what could be for our church So far, we've seen that that we dream of being a contagious community of hospitality, that we dream of being a selfless community of action. And then over the past couple weeks, we've particularly been digging in on what it looks like for us to be a community of growth. We've seen that as a community of growth, we desire to be this place where hurts are healed and where faith is restored. And then finally, as we'll see today, it's also a place where people become fully alive. And so as we focus in on that today, I have a question for us. On kind of this spectrum of chill to over here being thrill, where do you fall? I have some, some, some prompts to help us discern this for ourselves. And our friend Molly Druin, who comes to 1030, she helped illustrate these uh, this or that's with um, some very cute dogs. So hopefully you won't be distracted by them as we go along. But um, here's my first question for you. And as we do this, I want you to kind of pretend like your left hand is chill. And every time you would agree with the chill side, put up a finger and your right hand is thrill and just kind of keep score. If you feel like you're neither, then don't put a finger up. Okay, so let's see where you fall. Chill or thrill. Number one, are you a person who likes to play it safe or who's always up for adventure? Are you chill or thrill? Safe or adventure? Have you locked in your answer? Put your finger up. Hold on to it. All right. Everybody's got their side. Okay, let's do another one. Chill or thrill? 
Are you a tried and true person or a person who embraces unusual experiences? Let's, let's take it like in terms of food. Someone sit, puts a plate before you, you have no idea what it is. It might be moving a little bit and a weird color, but you're like, I'm game. Or are you like, pass the mac and cheese, please? Okay. Where do you fall on the chill to thrill? Everybody locked in their answer? All right. Chill versus thrill. One more. Do you look before you leave? Do you like to know like all the contingencies, how everything is going to play out? Or are you more spontaneous without necessarily thinking through all of the consequences? Chill or thrill? And I do believe we've got one more. Chill or thrill? Could you just sit at home and do nothing for hours on end? Or do you get bored very easily? Okay. Everybody got, their, everybody got their score? I felt like neatly in the middle. There's a more, uh, you know how there is on the internet. There's a quiz for everything. I felt nicely in the middle here. But where are my chill people? Let me see your hands. Chill. All right. Somebody tell me, what's the most chill thing that you've done as of late that illustrates that this is where you land? Couch potato. Couch potato. You spent a lot of time on the couch yesterday. Perfect. Good illustration. All right. Where are my thrill people? Oh, Britt, Britt, Tina, okay. All right, Britt, tell, tell us something that shows us that you are a thrill person. That, that sounds like a thrill. Yes. I'm glad you made it back. We're glad you're here today. Well, <laughs> what about you, Tina? What's a thrill? Different foods? All right. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, who is, who is my in the middle people? All right, a good number of us in the middle. Yeah, like I don't like to do adventurous things necessarily. I'm not going to eat the thing that's still moving on the plate. Um, but I do get bored very easily. I like to go, go, go. And we'll, we'll kind of um, take adventure up in, in that respect. So those of us in the room who raised our hand and said, we are chill. We might not necessarily understand our more thrill brothers and sisters, right? We might not understand why they're willing to jump out of airplanes or swim with sharks or eat that gross-looking thing, right? But science tells us that there is actually a payoff in our brain when we do risky things. There's this bundle of neurons in our amygdala down here that's always looking for things that are, are kind of different, that's always assessing the unknown. And whenever it detects that there is this risky situation, what it does is it releases all of these pretty amazing things in our brain, in our bodies. Um, it releases things like dopamine and endorphins and adrenaline and all these other chemicals that, that make us feel... Um, feel like we're, we're ready for whatever happens. It helps us be ready to protect ourselves in that situation. Um, it helps us to become hyper, hyper focused, right, on whatever it is that we're experiencing. And so for, um, for that moment, it kind of feels like we have superpowers. In short, it makes us feel fully alive. But here's the problem, right? That feeling, it only lasts for about 60 seconds or less. And so you have to keep chasing that thrill again and again to get that fully alive feeling. Now, those of us who are more chill, we 
we chase this feeling too. We just do it in a different way, right? We're, we're not off the hook here. We just have our own steady and safe ways we go about it. Um, instead of jumping out of an airplane, we do things like prudently plot our way to the top of the social ladder. Or instead of swimming with sharks, we, we carefully chase our next big goal. Or instead of eating that gross thing, we strategically accumulate that next thing that we think will finally fulfill us. But the truth is, each time we think that we have finally arrived at fully alive, what we discover is there's one more rung on the ladder, that there's one more goal out in front of us, that there is that one more thing, that one more acquisition that we need to get to satisfy our hunger. And so wherever we fall on the spectrum from chill to thrill, at the end of the day, I guess we're not all that different, right? We're all chasing after the same thing. All of us want to come fully alive. Even though all of us are walking around today, we're breathing in and we're breathing out. We can take our pulse in this moment. We all sense that there has to be something more than this, right? None of us want just this shell of existence. None of us want to just be going through the motions. We want to feel it. We want to all live this life that is charged with meaning and significance. In the New Testament, there are actually two words for the word we throw around, life, when we translate it into English. And these two words kind of get at this distinction that all of us feel inside of us. Bios, which is like the walking around, breath in our lungs, heart beating in our chest kind of physical, technical life that we all live. But then there's this other word. Zoe. Zoe, which means full life. It means abundant life, the kind of life that all of us are searching for. And the good news for us is that the book of John in particular in the Bible has a whole lot to say about this Zoe kind of life. In fact, the book of John uses the word Zoe nearly 40 times in its 21 chapters. And so from like beginning and end, it's all mixed in throughout. And, and that's more times than what you see in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all added up together. In fact, this is how John's gospel begins. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was what? Life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So in Jesus was Zoe. In him was full, abundant life. Jesus had in him what all of us want. John starts off his gospel with this very clear declaration. And then, as we'll see today, as we dig into John chapter 20, he actually ends his gospel by telling us that this life, this Zoe that was in Jesus, can indeed be in us as well. Let me set the scene for John 20. In John 20, in the passage Jeremy read for us, it's been three days, three days since the, the religious leaders and the political powers conspired against Jesus to condemn and to crucify him. It has been three days since he suffered in the most excruciating of ways. It's been three days since his, his 
bleeding and battered and bruised body was laid to rest in the grave. And three days since the disciples' hope had been laid to rest with him. The one who had in him life was now dead. Granted, earlier in the day, the disciples, they had heard this report that Jesus, he he was alive, that the tomb was empty. But that's a lot to absorb, right? The last time they checked, dead people stayed dead. And so should they really allow themselves to hope again? Their reaction to this news isn't recorded for us in the Gospel of John. However, wherever we, wherever we pick up the story again after they hear this news and whenever they start to continue the story on, it gives us some indication of their reaction to this news. When John picks the story back up, the disciples, they are not throwing a big party because Jesus is alive. The disciples, they are not out in the streets searching for Jesus. They are not going to their neighbors and telling them all the good news that Jesus is risen from the grave. No, guess where they are? They are locked up in a room all together, scared for their lives. They are afraid that the religious leaders are going to do to them what they did to Jesus. And so, yes, they are still alive in that physical, technical sense, but they are not actually living their lives. Fear is keeping them captive. But that's when it happened. Jesus appears. Suddenly, he is in that locked room with them. And some scholars say, like, well, maybe they knocked on the door and they let Jesus in. A lot of people think that he just miraculously appeared. But regardless, He is there and he appears to his disciples who must have been in a little bit of shock in that moment. Because, I mean, they are like literally seeing to them what would have been a a ghost in their minds, right? How would you react if that happened today? And so what Jesus says to them next is this. He says, peace be with you, which is a very common greeting in that day and time. But you have to think that in this moment, in this situation, that it carried a lot more meaning than that right? As Jesus is speaking these words to these shaken and stressed and grief-stricken disciples, Jesus is comforting them. And then what he does next is he shows them the the, um, scars in his hands and, and the cut in his side. In that day and time, if you went into a court in law, law, it was pretty common for you to show your wounds, to prove something. And in this moment, what Jesus wants to prove to his disciples is that he is who he says he is, that he is alive. And that's when the party finally erupted. John says that they were overjoyed. And then he moves on, right? It seems like a classic undersell here. Like, it makes me wonder, like, how are you supposed to celebrate something like that? Someone you thought was dead is alive. Surely you don't just feel a little bit of joy inside, right? And so what did the disciples do? Did they, did they each, like, start to cry and hug Jesus? Did they fall down and worship? Did they get up around him and start jumping up and down and chaining his neck? Even like they do at sports, sports events these days, you know? It's just like, what happened here? We have no idea. But what we do know is that in the midst of their overjoy, Jesus gets their attention again. He says to them the second time, peace be with you. 
And then he, he goes on to do something that might seem very peculiar to us. He tells them, just as the Father had sent him into the world, now he is sending them. And then he goes, and he breathes on them. Imagine going out into the Welcome Center today, and someone comes over to you after the service, and they say, hi. <sighs> How are you going to react, right? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> um, but what Jesus is doing in this moment, it makes perfect sense in light of the wider story of the Bible. Jesus is reenacting a scene from the Old Testament. He is reenacting a scene from Genesis 2 when, when God creates human beings from the dust of the earth. You might remember the story. It paints this picture of God giving something of himself so that we could live. It paints the picture of our God getting down and breathing his life into our lungs. That was always God's intention for us, for us to experience the full life that he does. His intention was always for us to experience the, the, the same life that, that is enjoyed by the, the persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as they live in this loving and life-giving relationship with one another. In fact, this is what that word, zoe, is really getting at. Zoe is not some kind of abundant life that we can go out and through all of our chill and thrill efforts acquire for ourselves. No, Zoe is a gift. It is the quality of life that only God can give and sustain. Zoe is God's own life that he shares with us. And so in this moment, when Jesus breathes on his disciples, what he is, is saying in what seems to be in this very awkward moment is actually a very powerful exchange. In this moment, what he is doing is he is saying to them, remember who you are. Receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, receive again the very life that is in me. Receive again the very life that is in me that has empowered every word that I've spoken, everything that I have done, that has just risen me from the grave. Receive the same quality of life that I enjoy, and you go and you enjoy it for yourselves. God the Father, he sent Jesus into the world to help us rediscover this Zoe life that he always wanted for us. In fact, if you want to know what abundant life looks like, here's the short answer. Jesus. His life was saturated with love, despite the fact that he encountered his own fair share of hate. His life was charged with joy, despite constantly being questioned about his identity and his intentions. His life was permeated by peace, despite not really fitting in with the powerful and the prestigious. His life was pervaded by freedom, despite all of the expectations that everyone was trying to put on him. Why? Because he walked around on this earth aware. He walked around aware of the life that was in him. He walked around 
aware that God the Father was breathing his life into him through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was walking around in this constant connection with his Father and the Spirit. And that relationship above and beyond uh, beyond everything else was what defined who he was. He walked around aware that he was God's son. And so here's my question. What if you and I walked around in the same awareness? What if you and I, instead of looking for this full, abundant life outside of us, what if we rediscovered the life that our God is always and everywhere trying to breathe into us? How would moving through this world knowing that you are sharing this life with God and that you are who he says you are, that you are his beloved child, how would that change your intentions and your interactions? How would that change your relationships and your reactions? How would that change your your passions and your purpose? There's a theory in sociology. It's called the, the looking glass self. And what this theory says is that you become what the most important person in your life thinks that you are. How you see yourself and act, it it heavily relies on what this person thinks about who you are. And so consider that. How might you find yourself coming more fully alive if, if you believe that when God looked at you, he saw someone that he was absolutely crazy about? How might you come more fully alive if you believe that every time God looks at you, he sees someone that he handcrafted and completely loves? How might you come more fully alive if if you believe that when God looks at you, that he sees a person that he desperately wants to share his life with? What if you began to look in the mirror and see what God does when he looks at you? Christine Kane um, is a a preacher and a writer, and uh, she mentions a story in one of her books about her daughters. She has two daughters, and uh, from the time that they were really little, her husband in particular was very intentional about speaking to them about who God says that they were, and he would just say scripture over them again and again and again, Um, but one day, Christine got a call from the school. Parents, have you ever gotten a call from the school? It's fun, right? Um, And they be the details, right? You like have to make the drive to the school to see like what has happened. You've got all kinds of scenarios playing in your head. And so she gets there and the teacher explains that in class there was a little boy that took a toy away from her daughter and looked at her and said that you are just dumb and ugly. And so Christine like kind of braced herself. She's like, oh dear, what has she done? <laughs> like, did she rear back and slug him? Did she uh, break down and cry? You know, But the teacher went on and she said that instead what her daughter did was stand right up to the boy and say, no, I'm not. My daddy says I'm beautiful and intelligent. You know, the the world is going to spew all kinds of hateful and hard things at us. But we can stand up in the face of that and we can experience full and abundant life right here and right now, knowing that our daddy, the one who is the source of true abundant life, that this is what he says about us, that he says that we are included and we belong, that he says that we have value and we have worth, that he says that we matter and that our lives make a difference, that he says that we are loved loved and never, 
ever forgotten. This morning, we gave Jovi a Bible, and we're going to give other kids Bibles as well, because we desperately, desperately want them to live in an awareness of what their daddy says about them. We want them to know that the life that is in Jesus can be in them. We desperately want them to experience the full life that only God can give. Danny Carruthers, he is um, a person here in our community that, that many of you might know from, from different contexts. Um, and he is a person who lives his life in awareness of this truth. It was a truth that was planted in him when he was a kid, and it has led him to a life of service. So let's watch his story together. My name is Danny Carruthers, a longtime citizen of Bowling Green, Kentucky. I work at the Housing Authority of Bowling Green at the moment. I'm a uh, coordinator for the senior citizens and the disability uh, folks. I've been doing that for maybe six months now. I, I serve the youth. I love our community for one. So uh, on the west side or any parts of Bowling Green, I try to have a ministry of helping kids that might need some kind of my help. I uh, started out in sports. I got involved in football at Bowling Green High School, uh, played basketball at Bowling Green High School. And, and, and I try to teach the kids now about how sports can make a difference in your life. Uh, and I went to Kentucky State University for two years up in Frankfurt, played up there, and then, then came back home. And then, as you know, sports can put you in a lot of lives. And I, I've been blessed to take my sports knowledge and wiggle into some personal uh, problems of our youth in the city. Uh, got about 30 years of it in right now. It's just been fun. Now, you know, the Bible talks about how you might stray away but come back. So that happened to me at a certain time in my life. And uh, i never forget it. I got in a little mess with the law, and I told told the judge, if you just give me one more time. I, I had never been in trouble before, but I said, if you just give me a chance, I, I'll just serve my community to the day I die. So... And it's worked out. So I was 24. I'm 61 right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I just, I just keep praying that God keeps me <laughs> steadfast and unmovable. Man. I started Boys to Men at Parker Bennett Elementary School. And uh, man, I was getting older. I am. I'm, I'm older. And a kid, Terrion Clark, came through. And I'm like, God, I can't do all this. And he does. Didn't have the strength, you know. I was trying to keep up with the football players, the basketball problems, trying to make sure kids got to play, trying to make sure parents were treating the kids right, take some of the pressure off of them of everyday struggles in life. And then we started this Boys to Men and seeing where this was needed. So I just met with Terry on and said, hey, and he has so much strength and it, it, it's moved on to greater heights. Um, and then we got the flag football that had, Warren County had dropped because you know, they went to different kind of football. So, uh, man, uh, Boys to Men is a great tool in our city. I mean, the, the first annual breakfast we had out here. I mean, who lets you do that? Only Broadway. Place opened their heart. Not only their doors, that's easy, but their hearts was open. And that was a big kickoff for our Boys to Men. Uh, but 
on the question you asked me about Megan's Mobile. And Megan's Mobile helps so many people. I mean, I don't know if people really understand. I, I was the first driver, so I know. I know the conversations I had uh, with people. I know the prayers that I had with people. I know the hugs I had with people, the phone calls, strangers. But I'm one of those who don't mind sharing my phone number because if I don't want to talk, I'm not going to talk. But when they will call just the fellowship we had with strangers and people that still remember me. And I miss Megan's mobile. I, I, I miss it so much. And just seeing them on a weekly basis. And, and then they loving me and I'm loving them. Wow, that that's missed. That's missed, really, really, really missed. Man, he's been so good and kind. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, you know, younger you went to church every Sunday, three times a day, you know, Baptist church. Uh, uh, and you just, you just seen the love of Jesus back then. Like I said, I'm 61. So I was blessed to come up in that time where, you know, the word was, Nothing was taken away from the word. And uh, man, just going as much as we went, seeing people that love Jesus. And then as I got older, like I said, I strayed away. And now that I'm getting older, the love of Jesus is just what they said it would be. I just backed up off of it a little bit, but man, it's, it hadn't changed. We had older people that just taught you the love of Jesus. And you know, they, they weren't the most educated people but they knew what Jesus would do. They'd experienced it, and we had. And as I look back to the ones that's gone on to glory, I'm like, same thing she told me is what I'm getting, that God would never leave us or forsake me. It's just funny because they was old, and they're like, we're listening because they was not mean, but they had, they was in charge. <laughs> they was in charge for real. So we had to listen, and it's just like, and I look back to the day as I get older. My God is amazing. And they told me he was. Now I can see it for myself. John wraps up John chapter 20 by saying this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. This morning, as we come to God in prayer, I want to invite you to trust, to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, but also to trust that, he, that, that you are who he says you are, and in doing so, find yourself coming fully alive. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for your great love for us. Your love that isn't a, a theory, that isn't just some grand idea, but a love that started with, with this picture of you getting down in the dirt to breathe into us the very life, the very breath that is in our lungs. God, I pray today that we would remember where our life is truly found, that we would be able to recall um, who we are because of who you say we are, and that that would shape each step that we take, that we would rediscover more and more profoundly the great love that you have placed in each of us, that we might share it with the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name as your children who are dearly loved. Amen. Amen.